One of today's biggest and most vigorously debated hot-button issues is gun control. And on one level, the debate centers on a classic religious and theological divide. There are those who argue that as humans, we should not try to replace God's role with our own efforts to restore this world. And others who argue that Christians have a responsibility to defend the God-given gift of life and all human dignity. But on a different level, this argument spotlights the current realities of our American religious and political life. The statistics show Americans of all persuasions and political affiliations have become increasingly opposed to more gun control laws, despite the growing number of mass shootings that have targeted schools, churches, and synagogues, as well as movie theaters and even military bases. Welcome to the Everyday Disciple Podcast, where you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. In other words, discipleship as a lifestyle. This is the stuff your parents, pastors, and seminary professors probably forgot to tell you. And now, here's your host, Caesar Kalinowski. Hey, Heath, good to be with you, man. How you feeling? Are you, are you getting over the super funk that hit the family? You know, barely. It's been at five of the six of us have been down over the last five days or so. So two days I've been oh, piled up in the bedroom. Talking to you, man, I could feel the pain. Uh, yo, yikes. Been there and I'm so sorry, man. Well, it's, it's the worst when your kids have it. It is. It is the worst. You, you know, as bad as you feel, you go like, oh my gosh, and I'm an adult and I'm processing it. Look at my baby girl. Uh, no. you know? Hey, we got a special guest today. This is actually, we've kind of started this show off a little bit more somber because just the, the general topic of today's show is a fairly dark tone, you know? It is. And it's not a big laugh fest. There's no, there's no laughs in this episode at all. And uh, like you said, we do kind of have a very special guest, uh, someone who I thought was super appropriate to have on just because of his life experience, legal experience, and faith experience. So why don't we just jump right into it? And, uh, and, I, and I have a conversation that it, we're going to kind of just like flow right into. And then we'll come on back and uh, we'll do the big three. Awesome. Sounds great. Okay, so this is a pretty unique and fun episode for me to do because our special guest on the show today is my own son, Caesar. You hear me talking about Team K a lot, and I've always mentioned all my kids. Caesar is Caesar 4. Uh, I'm the third Caesar in our family, and uh, we now have Caesar 5, his son. So anyway, the reason I want to have my son on to talk about guns and the Second Amendment and gun control and how the Bible and our faith and the gospel speaks into that is that my son is not only a strong believer, but he also served 10 years in the Marines, and he is an attorney. And um, he also has kind of got a bent towards understanding the Constitution, constitutional law, First Amendment work, Second Amendment understandings. And so I felt like he had not only a great perspective, but he had the right to have a strong opinion. Today's episode, we're not going to try to solve gun violence. We're not going to try to make the big suggestions on here's how we pass all kinds of new gun control laws trying to frame the discussion in an understandable way. And we're going to be in different slots here because my son's going to really give us some insight into, okay, what are the laws that we now live under? And to even understand them clearly, I think, is a definite starting point. We have to have that as an understanding because much of the debate is on uh, right now rages around misunderstanding of even what the law states, what the rights the government does have to give us or not give us, we're going to talk about alienable rights. We're going to talk about our God-given rights as image bearers, all those things. But anyway, um, I'm really excited to have him on. We're not going to agree on everything. We're going to try to stay, keep this clear, 
And we're going to try to keep it to our normal time, 20, 25, 30 minutes or so. But anyway, Caesar, I am so glad to have you on, son. Thanks, Dad. Thanks for having me on. This is uh, a topic that might could end up being the last show <laughs> because it is kind of one of those hot button things. And uh, not everybody's going to agree with where we go or, you know, all of our premises, but we are going to try to frame this. Okay, so we live in a nation that has a constitution. And within that constitution, there's a Second Amendment that specifically, more specifically, addresses what we'd say is guns, but really uh, it's it's the right to bear arms and all that. I'm going to, in fact, read this as a starting point. Um, the U.S. Constitution reads in the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Okay? So what what's going on with that Second Amendment right away? Who's this speaking to? Is this speaking to people or is this speaking to the government? Who who Who's this a warning against or setting up barriers. Yeah. So you, there's some, a couple understandings. Uh, first is, you know, the kind of the context in which the constitution was written and understanding how they viewed rights and how they understand uh, and understood the document that they were writing. And so a lot of people now believe that the constitution is kind of reflecting this belief uh, by the founders that God gave man inalienable rights and that those couldn't be taken away by a king. And only we, the people could collectively, uh, kind of create a government and take away some of our rights. So they were writing that document uh, as an idea that we're going to restrict the government's right that we're creating. We're going to restrict their restrict the government's right that we're creating over the people. And so the Second Amendment is really written to the government saying, uh, because we need a militia and because the people have an inalienable right to a free state to not be you know ruled over under tyranny, then the right to bear arms can't be infringed by the government. Okay. So that's 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 actually the government setting up protections against the government overreach to take away what they believe was a, a human right to protect oneself and also necessary for this republic that was being set up in, in the larger context, the Constitution that would govern that republic, uh, what it would take to stay a free state. Absolutely. I mean, we always forget, we think about the, the revolution and that was the big fight, which is true, but not that much longer uh, after, only about 20 years after the Constitution was ratified by all the states, we had the War of 1812 where Britain pretty much took a second bite at the apple and they thought, well, this is going to be, you know, before America gets too big, this is going to be our last chance to take it back over. So it was very much uh, at the time, it was it was the to protect the state, to re protect the republic. People needed to bear arms and had to answer that call. Okay, so now this is supposedly pr protecting rights. Now, are these rights ones that that you believe personally um, are God given rights to protection, but the government's trying to maintain those rights, or are these rights that the 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 framers of our Constitution and the Second Amendment were trying to say? These are rights that the citizenry, we the people, are going to need to have in order for this experiment to work. Yes, that's tough. And I think it gets, and we've talked about this in the past, but I think it gets to the point of whether or not a man inherently has a natural right and that his body and his kind of his own being, whether it's because we bear the image of God or whether because just if you're a humanist, you would say whether just because you are a being, because you have existence, that you naturally have a right to certain things. Uh, they would say you naturally have a right not to be a slave. You get to use your body however you want to. You get to use your work however you want to. 
you have a natural right to move and travel to speak. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you no consequences or otherwise, but you have those rights by virtue of having a body and by virtue of being created. Now, some people would say that you don't inherently have any rights and that there is nothing that you inherently have the right to do. And those people generally are in favor of bigger government. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because this word rights, uh, I mean, it, that's a debatable, right? Like, uh, is it an entitlement? Is it, uh, is it, in, is it in, you know, endowed by God just in the very nature of him being a sovereign creator, us being created in his image, the way he set up the world to work, the consequences of when things don't go in the way that God wills it and has set it up to work? Uh, is there a difference between rights and uh, something that we expect or feel like we, I don't know, it gets thick, right? I mean, this is complex stuff to even get to the thing behind the thing. <laughs> well, it's tough because then... He, you also mix in this idea of a license, which is a right to something that can't be revoked from you. It can't be taken away. So the right of people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. But there's a lot of things that aren't necessarily a right. We might think of them that way. We've got a right to drive around. We have a right to go to the grocery store. Have a car license. Those aren't necessarily rights. They're, in fact, licenses. And so we, the people, as the sovereigns, having set up a government, say, no, we get to regulate these things about people. And here's kind of the way that we can regulate. So you, so you don't see rights, like actual rights, as conditional at all? Generally speaking, no. I would say if you have a right, it is by virtue of that word, by virtue of that concept, that no one can take it from you. If, it, if someone could take it from you, you would not have a right to it. Gotcha. So in, in my understanding then, uh, you know, of Scripture and God's sovereignty is that he alone makes and holds and or I guess would have the authority to change the rights, except that we know from Scripture that God's the same forever, right? I would agree with that. I'd say for me, and this is, again, aside from a, you know, whether the government has the right or we've granted the government the right to take rights over us, all those things that God alone is the sovereign can grant. You know, it's kind of like truth. God alone can is the, you know, the source of all truth, and God alone is the granter of all rights. So in certain ways, the government... You know, and no government can exercise any authority that is not granted through God just by virtue of existence. But, and the Bible says as much, right? Yeah. This is all, in fact, and that ticks off a lot of people that, in fact, all governments <laughs> fall under God's sovereign rule. So go ahead and obey them, you know, because you're actually submitting to God. Which is, but it's tough, you know, when you look at um, the concept of a dictatorship or otherwise. I know. Uh, what do you, do we, you know, just because that power and all of the power of existence flows from God doesn't mean that necessarily God blesses the actions of every government or of every dictator. Or that every government that God allows to act as, you know, evil dictators, like you said, that he's blessing it, but also that the, there's still consequences that happen because of that. And that's not God's plan. Now that gets into also why we need a savior, you know? Uh, okay. So th this really helps me. And this is part of why I wanted to have you specifically help me think through this and talk through this because I, we were talking a little earlier, and I was trying to say, like, okay, well, we have a right to drive a car in this country, but it comes with certain rules, and you got you get to you have to be tested, and you have to prove competency, and that you're not going to hurt others. But you're saying, no, that's a license. That's something that the the government had, the government has chosen to license you, sort of the right to have, and it can be revoked, therefore, because it's man made. Right, it's, and under the Constitution, you don't have a right. There's not a constitutional right to, let's say, drive a car. Now, there's a constitutional right to travel, meaning the government can't stop you from going one place to another, but there's not a constitutional right to drive a car. 
There is, however, a constitutional right to keep and bear arms. Now, just for a second, back to this idea of rights are actually God-granted and therefore not given away. It seems to me, in my understanding of Scripture and, and throughout the whole story of God, you know, more of a biblical theologist in my own understanding of life, is I see that God has, by, by the very nature of that he's created us in his image to be like him, not to be him, and, and then have the ability to give and take rights away, but but he's given us this this image to bear. But he also, right away, we see in the Garden of Eden, he shares, he he gives his authority. He shares his authority. Now, that's even greater fulfilled uh, in the New Covenant when, when Jesus says, all authority on earth and heaven has been given to me, and now I'm giving it to you. We're sh- I, I'm sharing this because we're now one. Um, so um, now where I'm going with this is... Um, it's it all has always blown my mind that in you know Adam and Eve are in the garden they're hanging out with God they're in charge of everything they can eat everything God warns them but there's this one tree don't eat it it'll kill you it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil like when you start to basically try to determine what rights and what's right and what's wrong that's going to kill you and yet he does not remove the tree he does not remove their ability or their right to choose and we jump just a little ahead in Genesis and we see Cain and Abel and God is warning, again, just like he warned Adam and Eve, this will kill you. He's warning Cain that, listen, um, evil is crouching. It's waiting to take a hold of you and destroy you. You must bring it under control or it will destroy you. And, well, we know Cain goes out and kills his brother Abel. God knew he was going to do that. He told him, he warned him, and yet he never removed his even ability to go out and murder. It, it's it's mind-blowing to me how deep and intrinsic God has actually given us and then stuck to the rights he has, you know, is the word imbued, you know, uh, endowed us with as his image bearers. Even when he knows absolutely that we're going to misuse those rights. Right from the get go of the story. He absolutely knew, but when he granted, he didn't tell Adam, listen, if this is bad, it's going to kill people. So you need to make sure Eve doesn't do it and you watch over her. And you never, you know, take away that right from her. Yeah. Never gives that power over Adam and never give and never allows himself to exercise that power, which in its own way is obviously an enormous grant of love uh, that he would he would say, I know you'll use this for evil. I know that you're not going to use this in a way that I would choose for you. Right. And it's going to actually make your life harder. But you get to make that choice. And there's crazy consequences. Now, the scandal of the cross is God says, I know I know what the consequences are, and I'm even going to come and take those upon myself so, so ultimately you won't have to. That's, that's crazy. Okay, now um, let's, let's, um, let's talk about why, look, I know you, you, having been a Marine and being very trained with <laughs> firearms, and we've had talks about this since you were uh, a teenager, really, when you first entered the Corps. Um, I'm not, I'm not big into guns. I don't, think that they the gun itself is inherently evil. Um, I don't think that uh, I have any rights to tell who who should and who shouldn't own a gun. You're much more pro. Is that a fair way to say it? Pro. Yeah, I would say absolutely. Gun ownership and the in in the the rights of self protection. And if you want to use a stick, a knife, or a gun, or a club, or a cannon, or whatever we were talking about earlier, people used to own cannons, but now in this government they don't really let you. So there there is there is some gun control that exists today, even under the Second Amendment. Is that true? Absolutely. So they so uh, when the Supreme Court is the final arbiter of what the Constitution means. 
kind of decided, uh, and this was a case back in 2007 called Heller, which was a fairly uh, influential or kind of landmark case because it was the first time the Supreme Court definitively said that there's an individual right to bear arms. And so when was this? It's in 2007. Isn't that mind-blowing? Listen, Are you listening to this? In 2007, this just changed. I think many of your listeners may be more informed about the law than you, Caesar. I, 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 probably. <laughs> that would not surprise me, but... Yeah, so... But you live is, in the law. But it was like, the very the first <laughs> time... No, I didn't know about it either. It was the very first time it said, no, you absolutely have an individual right. So if you want to have a gun in your home... So the, the Supreme Court will never decide more than it needs to. So it was it was then confined to a home, and later they had to refine it down to ammunition and say, well, you can't remove ammunition because obviously that's a necessary component of a gun. But yeah, it's not that it's not that long ago. Now some people would say it was because for so long, no American would have understood that you couldn't own a gun, because for over a century and a half, pretty much every American home had one, whether it was on the frontier. Or otherwise, it was just a natural part of life. Was gun was it legal too then? Because you're saying 2007 it changed, but what about the frontier and everybody having, you know, a rifle for hunting? Yeah, it was absolutely legal. And even in the places where they would have restrictions, it was generally very uh, time, location specific. I.e., in the drinking quarter of a town, you had to turn in your guns, and it's you know that's reasonable. So still kind of that way in most states. So the Supreme (laughs) Court has said that there is a reasonable restriction on generally the type of guns you can own and or the type of weapons and potentially the caliber or you know the uh, you can't have explosives or you have a license for certain things that type of thing. So um, would you personally think that we need more? laws on the books to restrict gun ownership or not you get to be you <laughs> in in what state and under the federal gotcha. state government yeah. under the state you know that's the here's the here's the difficulty and i know me you and know, my dad why isn't why isn't it easier to just pass some sort of reasonable gun regulation and the answer is what's reasonable what's objectively reasonable what's reasonable for me to who's got the knowledge force good on and re- you? evil right and wrong for yeah. everybody right can That's- i tell you from my cushy neighborhood where i have no you know problems whatsoever and the police show up right away and i don't fear the police that you guy in a terrible neighborhood or you a woman who lives by herself in a terrible neighborhood. Or another ethnicity that doesn't have that same trust of the law enforcement. Yeah, and, and when you call the police, they maybe don't show up, that you absolutely do not have a right. No, I don't think the government should be in that business. And I think it's just we're too disparate. We're a, we're a nation that has so many different people in so many different situations that I would never, and I don't think the Constitution would support, uh, removing that right just because we're worried about potentially how some people could abuse it. You and I, before we got started recording today, we were talking a little bit about is there is you know where's the line of self defense and the ability to you know or yeah, I guess the ability to take a life where 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 does that line get drawn and who gets to decide where that line is? Meaning, like f- for me, we were talking you know I I don't own a gun. Um, but if someone broke into my house and I really honestly believe they were going to try to kill me or my wife or you guys, the kids, um, I would not want to kill somebody. Um, but if I had, if that came to that, I probably would, you know, I probably would try to do that. Now I don't own a gun, so I wouldn't be able to do it that way. Um, I would hope that I would choose to, um, you know, try to maybe knock somebody out or knock them in the head. And I don't know, you know, I don't think in the moment I would probably be righteous enough 
uh, altruistic enough, uh, I don't know, holy enough, whatever you want to say, to say, no, I am right now in the moment going to choose to lay my life down. But I, we'll talk about this again in a moment. I would, I would wish and hope that I might feel that way. And for, and we'll get back into it in a bit. Um, real quick, let's talk a little bit about does the Bible and, and I like to look at Jesus, you know, as, as the exclamation point, his life, death, and resurrection of the whole thing, Old Testament, New, Old Covenant, and New. Does the Bible, what does the Bible say about self-defense and bearing arms? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think we see a pretty clear indication, at least Old Testament, pre-covenant, that Pre-New God, Covenant. Yeah. Pre-New Covenant, rather, yeah, that God, you know, allowed... The, armed Israel, gave them favor on the battlefield. There's a lot of Psalms and verses. In Exodus 22, it talks about, you know, if a thief is breaking in and is struck on the head so that he dies, there'll be no blood guilt for the person that does it. And so I think we see some instances, and I think it makes sense in the same way that God didn't restrict Cain's ability to harm someone for no good, for literally to murder them. He doesn't restrict people or man's ability to protect themselves. And doesn't, you know, tell the government, you know, the people of Israel to do so either. Now, when you get into New Covenant, well, that's obviously a lot harder. <laughs> it, it is. And, and I'll, I will say this, that, that a lot of people, they point to, uh, well, either Luke 22 or I think it's Matthew 25 or 6, uh, that right after Jesus is praying in the garden and it's, it's um, right before he's going to be arrested and taken off for crucifixion, uh, he says to the disciples, he says, do you, do you remember when I sent you off and two by two and I told you to take, you know, take no, no purse or bag with you? Did you lack anything? And they said, no, we didn't. And he says, now I tell you, if you have a purse, um, buy a sword. <laughs> and, and, and one of the disciples says, well, we have two swords. And he goes, that'll be enough. And so some people quote that, uh, those verses in the gospels as saying, see, Jesus was promoting, you know, defend yourself here. But then with just not too many verses ahead, you can see where Peter picks up a sword, lops off one of the guard's ears, centurion's ears, and Jesus puts his ear back on and says, listen, if you live this way, if you live by the sword, then then you're going to die by the sword. And so it's like, wow, we have, we have seemingly the two sides of the coin here. And I think this does speak to this inalienable right that God does not do violence to our will, uh, does not do violence to the choice that he's given us as image bearers, is to say, listen... You can protect yourself, so you, you you're gonna feel the need to have a sword tonight because this is going down and this is going down hard. But then when Peter uses it, he's like, "Let me just warn you: if you choose to live that way, you might also die that way." That's personally kind of how I feel about why I don't own guns because I don't know that it wouldn't be taken from me and I'd be killed with it. And if I didn't have it, I might just get knocked over the head and have my stuff stolen. I don't know, but I think it is a picture. It is a picture of the gospel going on there in that passage with Jesus. And um, there are plenty of Old Testament, certainly plenty of passages that seem to support the fact that we get to protect our property, protect each other. There's endless verses about protecting the defenseless, defending the defenseless, right? And caring for those, caring for your own family. Who would not do that? Wow, that's the worst if you wouldn't even care for your own family. Certainly, it's not just about like, hey, if they're hungry, you should feed them. Well, obviously, you would defend them if someone was going to take their life, way more valuable than hunger. And so... I think I think we do see that that God's not per, there's not there's not a mandate for passivity, right? I mean, it doesn't seem to be one, and, and whether it's God re- recognizes the nature of man that He's created, and He just knows that we're you know we're 
going to be defiant. That's kind of from our birth. That's how we were. And so he allows us to be. And just knowing one day that when there's reconciliation, that all of that will change and that we yeah. won't have all to be defined that way. Um, but it doesn't make it any easier when we obviously see things in the news and we hear about mass shootings and people being killed. And emotionally, we when we want to love other people and see people loved well, it makes it does it does make people hurt and makes people feel like we've got to do something. So let's take the thing away that caused it. Now there's clearly those who say guns don't kill people; people kill people, and it's a, it's a heart issue. And the only hope we have is Christ, and I, that's hard to argue with on a certain level, right? No, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, there. Listen, if if it were not guns, it would be something else. We were a very for good and for bad, we're a hardworking, industrious nation. We will, I absolutely believe that if poof tomorrow there were no guns, that we would not see the end of mass murders. We would just see it in a different way. Yeah. I think it's a sad part of our culture and our nation and just where we're at. But I think it's, it is just a truth. You were telling me earlier, I was asking you, like, why do you think we have seen, like, and we don't have a whole lot of time to get into this, but I, th- I found it fascinating. What has led to the rise of, of of violence and even particularly gun ownership and violence over the last, well, you know, a couple hundred years this country's existed, but really most of it in the last 70, 100 years? What, like, what are you were giving me some crazy yeah, things I mean, that you've researched and believe have really fed into this growing violence, you know, and use of guns by the citizenry, not in ways that are just self-defense. Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's a ton of reasons. And industrialization and, you know, our manufacturing ability to make guns cheap has obviously put more guns in people's hands. Now, again, that doesn't necessarily mean for good or for bad. It's just the simple fact is more people have guns and there are more yeah, people. You were saying it used to be that, like, a family would own a gun, and but that was one of the most expensive possessions. Yeah, it was probably the patriarchs, and it was one of the most expensive. Maybe a couple guns if you were on the frontier, but... It wasn't, uh, they didn't have the access to it and the ability to buy it in quantity. We just okay. didn't have so the that's same. part of it. So then you've got the rise of kind of criminality in the 1930s. And a lot of people will say it could be lead. It could be. That was the, fascinating that lead poisoning and the, and the propensity of lead-based products has been traced pretty definitively to the rise of criminality for it's, decades. It's like some, lots of uh, kind of problems with mental health issues and other health issues that lead to yeah the rise in criminality and then you also have you know people will say that it was the great depression there's a number of reasons and then obviously some pretty horrific back-to-back world wars and so you see kind of a growing of violence people's exposure to violence and then the globalization of it in a way that people just hadn't experienced warfare death had generally been a fairly intimate thing because you generally grew up and lived around where you maybe had a family and but now we see people moving and understanding globally and you know just themselves and violence and a lot of things in different ways and so I think that's just increased it in a way now whether or not we have to respond in a way to restrict people's rights whether as a government or as Christians we should condone that is a whole nother question yeah so so now I, I want to move into like, okay, what do we get to as Christians think about this and or our own rights to bear arms and or the lack thereof of our right to tell anybody else if they get to bear arms? You know, um, we've had lots of talks about the difference between the church in America or in any nation and the government. The, those are two different entities, right? But, the, ch- but the church is people. And so 
as as the as the people of God, as the sons and daughters uh, of God Himself, the King of Kings, we do have uh, also rights and the ability to choose. Which means even within a nation that says I have the uh, right to bear arms, um, I also get to choose not to bear arms. Yep, and I think that's a, you know it's an individual right in the same way. And I think I put it to you this way: you know, just because you personally might not value that right. Maybe it's because your circumstances don't make you have to think about it on a daily basis. Well, that's certainly a big part of it. Or other ways, but but you may value your right to free speech or your right to practice your religion. Yeah. And you would, and while someone might not value that very much at all and say, well, I don't really care about religion, so why shouldn't we just take away that? Because religion's led to a lot of bad things in the world and led to a lot of death and a lot of destruction. Yeah, final religions killed more people than guns has. Absolutely. And <laughs> Before long, guns were invented. In the long term of, yeah, man. So we should just get rid of religion. Right. Yeah, but I obviously we value that. And so the fact is other people may value their own rights in the same way. And to the extent that they're not infringing upon other people's rights to life and liberty, then I think that we get to allow them and we get to abstain. We get to own guns. We get to defend ourselves. I would say we get to defend ourselves. And we get to live in a society where we can be gracious with people no matter what they believe. Now, I, you know, in this show, we talk a lot about what's the thing behind the thing. Clearly, self-love, fear, a uh, desire to build my own kingdom, to manage the knowledge of good and evil and right and wrong for myself. Uh, scripture says that, you know, humanity will, you know, they'll have two people and one will call evil good and one, the other will call good evil. We can just turn on the news and see that every day. Or you can just roll back the last five conversations you had with your spouse and you realize that's how that works as humans. Um, I think the thing behind the thing is that we love ourselves and we wish we were God. We want to be God and we want to take control over others. So that speaks to both sides of this gun control issue. Not only do I want to be able to protect myself and and some would say, and then if that includes taking a life, well, then then that's what happens. I, I don't think that most Christians who would say they have the right to defend themselves with a gun, and even if it comes to taking a life, would say, and I sure hope I get to, um, but I think the gospel also does speak into that in Christ, we now have the ability to choose to lay our life down on behalf of another as Christ did, but we are not forced to. Just like we were talking a little while ago, Christ had the right to not go to the cross. He said, Father, if there be any other way, please let that happen, but your will be done. And we saw that, okay, then he, he submitted to the Father's sovereignty, not to his own. But clearly, he had the right to say, I'm not going to the cross. I think as, as Christians, we do have the right to go to the cross, to pick up our cross, to bear a cross. But I can see nothing in Scripture that says, and we should try to exert that right upon others to, to have the same exact opinion as we do. You and I don't have the same opinion. Absolutely. You know, it's funny, Caesar too, to bring another Caesar into this conversation with too many Caesars already, said... So, so my dad. So yeah, your dad said, Christ will never bend your arm. And I had to think about that for a long time and what that meant as far as, what did, what did that mean for how I shared the gospel with other people? And what did that mean for, honestly, my own belief in the gospel? Christ is not going to force me to believe anything. He's not going to force me to force anyone else to believe anything because the truth is much more powerful and redemption is much more powerful. And so once I understand that, I'm freed from feeling like I'm forced to do anything or I'm going to force anyone else to do anything. Yeah. 
Now, I will say this, uh, long-term listeners to the show have heard us talk about the four Gs and, and the fact that God is great, and so I don't have to be in control. And I, I would want uh, for myself and, and for my family and for other believers, I would want us to live under the belief that God is, in fact, great, and so therefore I don't have to be in control. That my ultimate protection, just like my life comes from God, my ultimate protection and protector is God himself. Um, and, and I know this doesn't offer, this doesn't offer to our listeners the solution to gun violence in America. I don't have it. I, I don't know. If, do you have it? <laughs> no, I think, and I think honestly, much like trying to solve any other societal, social, cultural, even national issue, if we desire to see perfection on earth before God comes and restores it, we're going to be waiting a long time, right? Yeah, like it's never going to, it will never be perfect. Yeah. And in pragmatic, we talked about this pragmatically, there's no way to take 300 million guns out of the homes of America. Even if we thought that that were the best idea and that would solve the problem tomorrow. I'm just, I'm here to tell you, I know a lot of former Marines that would not, yeah, that would not, not, it would not happen. Yeah. And so it's an absurd. And it would only feed a black market so that the wrong people. Exactly. You know, and so, are. so pragmatically, there's a ton of issues in there as well. So it's like, what is our response as Christians and how do we love other people? Well? So just like the problem with homelessness is, is never going to be solved with money alone. It's, it's going to be solved when people who love others as they love themselves begin to take care of those who have less. And I think it's going to be the same thing with the violence issue. It, it's a violence issue. It's a self-love issue more than it's a gun issue. And simply say, yeah, but guns kill people. It's like, not laying on a shelf at don't. Someone has to pick it up, and no. it's still a heart issue. When we when we start to love people in slums and people that feel like they need to turn to gangs and when they feel like they're loved outside of just that type of obviously distorted love, and when people, whether it's the school shooter that feels disenfranchised or left out, when they start to feel loved, then we'll see reductions, and then we'll stop seeing this type of violence. Wow, this could go on for a lot longer than we already have, which is a little longer than a normal episode. But thank you. Um, I really appreciate it, son. Appreciate yeah, you doing this. Uh, it's been a long day. We're, we're recording this at night just to fit it into everybody's schedule. And uh, wow, I'm, I'm going to throw this back now to uh, to to Heath, going to set us up for the big three. And then uh, I'm, I'm going to lay the big three on everybody. Thanks again, son. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care. Man, you are absolutely right, Caesar. This is... You know, every time I I tend to think in the world as of the world as like a binary conversation, it's conversations like this one we just had that really go to show that it is never just as simple as one or the other. But there's layers, and and you know what I mean. It's not, and there's and you know, and like I said, you know, earlier, that it, this isn't like okay, here's the steps one, two, three, and we're going to solve you know the gun problem. That that wasn't even it. We were really trying to frame the issue a little deeper. And a little more nuanced because most of what I read out there, it's kind of knee jerk left or knee jerk right. And yeah, that's absolutely. not helping. That's not helping. And, you know, throwing out statements just like, well, you know, our thoughts are with you. Like, that's not helping either. What thoughts? Yeah. Are they informed thoughts even? Like, oh my goodness. So, anyway, there's many takeaways. And I think to, you know, just even walk away with three is a little minimizing, but we always like to do the big three, right? Which is if nothing else, you get three takeaways from the show that we want you to walk away with. And you can always get a, free download of the big three as a pdf by going to everydaydisciple.com forward slash big three caesar what are the big three takeaways for this week okay they're pretty heavy as well just like this conversation with my son was but here's the first one the second amendment never explicitly states that gun ownership mm. is a god-given right 
However, I believe the founders likely did believe that we all have inalienable rights as human beings, as image bearers of the one true God and authority. We also have a right and responsibility, commanded by God in Scripture, to know and follow the laws of our country. And we have a duty to know what the law actually says instead of letting the news and blind emotion or ignorance guide us hmm. or even real emotion. Take the time to know the laws of your country and what you can do to live as a blessing in light of our shifting culture and some of the horror that's going on. That's really wise. All right, number two. Okay, God is great and powerful, so we don't need to be in control. Okay, this is really how the gospel speaks to my heart in this whole thing. We touched on this. The false belief that we're only safe by the possession of weapons is a denial of God's sovereignty. Listen to what Jeremiah 17 says. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. So trust God with your life and safety and seek to be peacemakers and part of the change that you want to see in this world. And remember, just as God will never do violence to your will or choice, he has also never commanded us to try to exert our will or our opinions hmm. on others either. This is amazing. All right, number three. And I would say this is sort of like we're, you know, like, what do I, so what do we do? So learn more about the complex issues connected to this topic. Hmm. And this takes study. Understand the different types of guns that are out there and don't sweep all guns and gun owners into a single simple category. That'll not advance this dialogue or lead to any meaningful change or peace in our country. Understand that the life, privilege, and safety that you enjoy is not necessarily the same for everyone, but it does absolutely affect how people of other ethnicities, socioeconomic levels, and religions view hmm. this issue. Isn't it, it, it reminds me of the the show with Catherine Hayhoe where it was talking about how the, the underprivileged are always the most affected, you know, and, and we tend to think that we have a grasp on this issue based off kind of our current status. And so it's a good reminder to think that this is. Well, and we spent a lot of time off mic talking about just that, like, okay, do you understand pops? You know, this is my son. Like, do you understand pops? He's real strong about, you know, that how this affects these people, these people, these people, you'll never experience that. I'm like, yeah, that, that does change it. So anyway, there it is, man. We've run way long. I hope this has been helpful to kind of start to give us some handles and frame this from a, both a legal perspective and also a practical, but also gospel perspective. Okay, that's it for today. Hope you'll join me next week. We're going to continue to learn how the gospel speaks into all of normal life and is foundational to making discipleship and mission a lifestyle instead of a program of the church. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on this show and to get loads of free discipleship resources, visit everydaydisciple.com. And remember, you really can live with the spiritual freedom and relational peace that Jesus promised every day. 